Welcome to episode eight of Historic Boston Beacon Hill, a walking tour of one of Boston's best known but least explored neighborhoods. After leaving the Harrison Gray Otis house, continue walking down the hill to the intersection of Charles and Beacon Street. Please continue listening to this episode while you walk. We will eventually arrive at a Starbucks on 66 Beacon Street. Starting in the 1850s, the city filled in much of the Charles River Basin to form over 500 acres of new buildable land for a neighborhood called Back Bay. Between 1859 and 1900, the area was developed with rows of Victorian brownstone homes that were larger and more modern than those in Beacon Hill. These homes were arranged along straight European-inspired avenues with back alleys to allow for deliveries and access by staff. The homes were built with the latest advances in technology, including central heating, gas lighting, and modern plumbing. This development coincided with the gradual dilapidation of Beacon Hill after the Civil War, which drove down the price of real estate and resulted in the conversion of many single-family homes into boarding houses. Several other homes were demolished in this area to make room for tenement-style housing, particularly on the North Slope. The low rent prices of the tenements and boarding houses made the neighborhood attractive to working-class residents of Boston, including an increasing number of Irish and Jewish immigrants. The Irish, in particular, driven to emigrate from their home country by the potato famine of the 1840s, would make the North Slope their home, displacing over time the African-American population that would relocate to other areas of Boston. It was during this era that the slang Bridgets was adopted in the city to refer to household servants, due to the prevalence of Irish women with this first name. By the late 1880s, many of the wealthiest citizens had moved from Beacon Hill to Back Bay, with the hill increasingly seen as run-down, cramped, and outdated. Starting in the 1910s, increased neighborhood activism raised awareness of the changes needed to revitalize Beacon Hill. One of the earliest examples of this was a real estate broker named William Codman, who protected homes from tenement developers by purchasing and reselling them to people who were committed to restoring them. This growing activism would result in a transformation of the neighborhood over the next two decades. In 1920, the buildings on the western side of Charles Street were demolished to make room for a wider street. This would also initiate the first redevelopment of the flat of the hill, which was then run down and filled with aging sheds, workshops, and garages. The Beacon Hill Civic Association was formed in 1922 with the goal of preserving and enhancing the quality of life on Beacon Hill. This group drove several important changes to the neighborhood, including protecting the brick sidewalks, implementing the one-way streets to minimize through traffic, and advocating with the state legislature for the Beacon Hill Historic District. The Beacon Hill Garden Club also formed during this decade, attracting visitors to the neighborhood with its famous Hidden Gardens Tour that still operates today. But possibly the most impactful organization was the Beacon Hill Associates, a real estate group that would build many new properties that added to the distinct charm of the neighborhood. In many ways, the Beacon Hill Associates was the 20th century version of the Mount Vernon proprietors. We will see a few of their properties at our next stops. We will now walk through the flat of Beacon Hill, Please pause this episode as needed as you move between stops. Stop 1, 68 Beacon Street. On each side of Charles Street, you will see two tall buildings. The Starbucks is located at 66 Beacon Street, and across from Charles Street, you will see a grayish-brown brick building 
that is number 68. This building, known as the Public Garden Apartments, is an example of the work of the Beacon Hill Associates. It was completed around 1920 and was intentionally designed to provide a visual balance to the similar building at 66. Together, these buildings demarcate the entrance to Beacon Hill. Stop 2, Hampshire House, 84 Beacon Street. Let's cross Charles Street at this intersection and walk west on Beacon Street. The public garden will be across the street to your left as you walk, and everything to the right is the flat of the hill. We will stop briefly at the end of this block at 84 Beacon Street at the Hampshire House. This Georgian Revival mansion was built in 1909 and later turned into a hotel. It is, of course, best known by people who watched the 1980s sitcom Cheers as the Cheers Bar. Stop 3, Byron Street. Turn right onto Brimmer Street and then take another right onto Byron Street. The series of lower houses you see in this block are what remains of the stables of Beacon Hill. While the initial freestanding mansions from the early 1800s were designed with their own stables, as the hill became filled with more row houses, residents put their horses and stables on the flat of the hill. These stables would eventually turn into garages with the invention of the automobile in the 20th century, and some would be used as workshops. The revitalization of Beacon Hill following the 1920s would transform these stables into the homes you see today. Stop 4. The Witch of Lime Street, 10 Lime Street. Go to the end of Brimmer Street, turn left onto River, cross over Chestnut Street, and make another left onto Lime. The terrible death toll from World War I launched a growing interest in spiritualism in the 1920s. One of the most prominent leaders of this movement, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, was convinced psychic mediums could allow communication with the dead. At his urging, the Scientific American created a contest to prove the existence of authentic mediums. This contest would lead a panel of judges to 10 Lime Street, the home of Mina Crandon, the attractive socialite wife of a Boston surgeon. Through numerous seances, Mina demonstrated her powers, which proved convincing to all but the toughest judge on the panel, the famous escape artist Harry Houdini. In the end, while Mina was able to convince some of the judges of her powers, the Scientific American did not award her the prize, and she remained surrounded by controversy until the interest in spiritualism faded in the 1930s. Stop 5. The George Doriot House, 12 Lime Street. This home at 12 Lime Street was the location in 1957 of the first venture capital deal in the United States. George Doria, founder of American Research and Development Corporation, signed a deal to provide $70,000 to the founders of a startup called Digital Equipment Corporation, or DEC. While George had an office in the financial district of Boston, this first deal was signed at his kitchen table. This investment would be worth $35 million when DEC went public in 1968. Stop 6, 30 Lime Street. Continuing down the street, you will see 30 Lime Street, another of the properties developed by the Beacon Hill Associates in 1913. Stop 7, the Sunflower Castle, 130 Mount Vernon Street. Continue to the end of Lime Street, take a right onto Brimmer, and then take a right onto Mount Vernon. Your best view will be from the left side of the street. Follow Mount Vernon until it intersects with Charles Street. You will pass the Church of the Advent, 1844, on your walk. Before you reach Charles Street, 
you'll reach the Sunflower Castle on your right, which is unlike any other house in Beacon Hill. It was once a simple brick building that was redesigned in 1879 in the arts and crafts style. Stop 8, the Charles Street Meeting House, 70 Charles Street. Across the street from the Sunflower Castle is the Charles Street Meeting House, which was built in 1807 as a Baptist church on land that was created when the Mount Vernon proprietors flattened the hill. The church was originally located more towards the center of the road, but was moved west when Charles Street was widened in the 20th century as part of its revitalization. In the 1830s, one of the members of the congregation challenged the segregated seating by inviting his black friends to his pew. He was expelled from the church and would later go on to join one of the first integrated churches in Boston. This concludes our episode. Please start the next episode to continue with our tour.